Over the next few weeks, you're going to see an opportunity that goes on behind the scenes. Most of you know what maybe goes on at Community Alliance Church or where you can get connected or involved. Some of you may not. And for the next few weeks, you're going to see a little bit of a snippet from every ministry and how you can get connected and how you can get involved. You have a bulletin this morning. In it is a number of inserts. That first one is about the sapias. You are a part of the Christian Missionary Alliance, which takes the gospel of Jesus literally to the ends of the earth with 700 missionaries in 60 countries. And every so often, those that we partner with or are close to come, share their story, share their journey, share how you can be involved in that. And this week, they're going to be here speaking next Sunday, here on Thursday night, for those of you who'd love to come and be a part of that. We're also a part of a district, and a great commission women of our district in the Christian Missionary Alliance in Western PA are going to have a conference here at our church. And Wanda Walborn, one of the most gifted speakers you'll ever hear, going to be here for that. And that information is in there as well. Been a long journey over the last couple of weeks. A weekend ago, we were at Man Camp, and then Sunday I left Orlando, Florida, to be a part of the planning for Life 2019, which is a gathering of 5,000 high schoolers from around the country and around the world who are coming to really be in tune with God, learn from one another, learn from Him, sing, celebrate, and recognize you're not alone in some of these churches that are somewhat isolated. And we're a part of that. And we've got 75 from here that are going. Pray for them. If you're a part of that, we'd love to have you go. We'd love to have you help with us if you can as a volunteer. And really, if you're not going yet and you're in high school, you've got to find Evan or Beth and talk to them about going. A lot of other information in your bulletin as well. If you're in a serious relationship or you're engaged and want to get married here, but you want to know what does it really take to have a marriage that lasts a lifetime? going to share that on the 31st of March, but you got to sign up ahead of time online so that we know how many to expect and anticipate. You don't have to be engaged to be a part of it, but in a serious relationship and you want to know, what does it take to have one that lasts forever? i got to believe that's what you want, and we're going to talk a lot about that. I want to ask you a question this morning. If someone came up to you and said, I'd love for you to join my team, follow me wherever I go, learn everything you can, There's not going to really be a home base or a home office, not a lot of money in it, many times not hardly any, and if you had some, don't even take it with you. Your life in me, your sole purpose for being on this journey is going to be your sole purpose in life. Most of your family won't understand it. Many of them may write you off as crazy. To be honest with you, there may be a few people, maybe even a lot, They're going to turn against you. You may end up in prison. I want you to know you could be beaten. And by the way, you could be killed. Want to go? (laughs) You want to join? How many of you would sign up with an offer like that? But if you really understand Scripture and you really understand the call of Jesus to his disciples, that's essentially, as crazy as it sounds, a lot like what he's calling them to. And by the way, he chose some interesting and eclectic people, and he still does. Peter, that impulsive, brass, over-enthusiastic who talked when he should have been thinking, slept when he should have been awake, acted when he should have been still, describes me a little bit. James and John, the sons of thunder, was their nickname. At one point, they wanted Jesus to call down fire from heaven and destroy people they didn't like. And then of all things, they sent their mom to Jesus to ask him to make them their favorite. I mean, seriously, who would send their mom to Jesus and say, 
I want my two boys, James and John, to be your favorite. I mean, it's not like they were 12. They're in their 30s. Philip, the cautious one, Matthew, a tax collector that most people didn't like, Simon, a revolutionary, and Judas Iscariot that no one really trusted. And those are some of the ones he called to be his disciples, as different and as eclectic they are. With all the background and all the baggage and all the stuff, he said, I want you to follow me. And if you look around the room and look at all of us who came to find Jesus and follow him and are called into this journey of discipleship, we realize that we have all of our stuff as well, and he invites us in, and he encourages us, and he loves us, and he died for us, and he said, I want you to follow me, and I want you to give it everything you've got. There are 12 that we know by name, a number of more beyond that. Luke 10 said there were at least 72 other disciples, and of course, hundreds of followers, and many of them just trying to figure out exactly who is this Jesus. And some still do it today. But if you honestly explain and examine the sections of Scripture and the claims of Christ, you'll find out pretty much exactly who he is. His words are powerful. His teachings are life-changing. But he's extremely challenging. Especially to our self-centered me generation, he's more than a problem solver, more than just a comforter. Sometimes he's more like a confronter and a challenger. He called them and us to an exciting, exhilarating, dynamic adventure called discipleship. And although he accepts us and meets us exactly where we are, he loves us too much to leave us that way. He cares for us when we hurt, but tenaciously exposes anything that keeps us from being his faithful followers. He's a friend who never leaves us, sustains us when we're lonely, guides us when we're confused, uplifts us when we're discouraged, but we cannot limit him to a problem solver because otherwise we'll run the danger of being so preoccupied with getting Jesus to help us with our problems and our plans that we may not hear the exciting plans that he has for us. Sometimes he gets us to hear him by saying statements or making claims or saying some things that you look at it saying, really? What, do you, what did he mean by that? I don't, I don't know if I can do that. I mean, that challenge is beyond, how can I live like that? And many times that's what he wants us to think. That's the reaction he's looking for because those who first heard it and you and I who read it cannot be his disciples without his power. And actually without his life flowing through us so that we can live the life he's calling us to. I think I found it in a book called Meeting God at Dead End where a pastor tells the story of a new follower of Jesus who came to him and said, Pastor, I want to be a better dad and a better husband. Tell me what to do. He says, take your Bible, open it up, read it, and do what it says. That's it? That's it. Look for sections of Scripture that talk about being a dad and about being a husband. Read them and then do it. A few weeks later, the guy comes back to the pastor and he said, this is crazy. I mean, this is ridiculous. Who can live like this? I mean, pastor, let me read you some of this stuff. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. I know what he did for the church. How do, how do I do that? Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Well, they exasperate me. <laughs> Can I do it to them every once in a while? Train them up in the instruction and training of the Lord? 
Okay, this one. Love is patient? Are you kidding me? Love is kind? Love doesn't keep score? Not even a little bit? Love never, ever gives up on anyone? Let me read you another one, Pastor. Don't worry about anything. Come on, not one thing? I mean, all of us have one worry. Who can do that? Are you kidding me? I can't do that. I don't have it in me to live like that. And the pastor said, do you realize you have discovered the secret of Christianity in just a few weeks? It took me years to understand that. Because it's not possible to live the life that God called us to without the life of God flowing through us. And only the Spirit of God living in us can reproduce the life of Christ through us. It doesn't matter if you're Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, or the Pope. Jesus said, you can't do this without me. And then, of all things, he says, I will give you my life. I'll give you everything you need to live the life that I'm calling you to. I'll be there with you and for you and around you. I'll be able to put my life in you when you fully trust in me. And when I leave this world, I'll send you my Holy Spirit. I'm limited to this body for this point. But when I leave this world, it's actually better for you because I'm going to send you my Spirit. And if you fully surrender your life to Christ and you allow His Spirit to vibrate every fiber of your being, I'm telling you, you will be able to live the life that I'm calling you to. And to be honest with you, you'll never be able to do it without that. And the incredible thing is he offers us everything to do it. By the time you get to John chapter 6, which is I asked you to read yesterday on Phone Tree, you find out a number of things that Jesus had already done just in those few short weeks of his early ministry. I mean, by the time you get to chapter 6, he had turned water into wine, presented the concept of being born again to a Pharisee just in John. He spent time with the Samaritans who the Jews really didn't associate with. He spent time with a woman at the well who was looking for life in all the wrong places and looking for love in all the wrong places and thought certainly it had to be in this relationship. When, when that didn't work, it had to be in that one. And that didn't work. And he said, you're looking in all the wrong places. It's only in me. He healed people. He fed the 5,000. He walked on water. By the time he had this particular conversation with them in John chapter 6, he had quite a following problem was a lot of them were looking for him to satisfy their physical and material needs what he wanted to do for them is so much more than that they had come to him because he could heal them they had come to him because he could feed them they had come to him because he was there with them and kind of gave them some answers to life they would come looking for all of those things jesus said i want to do so much more i want to do something deeper down within your soul not just for your life or for the moment or for this experience i want to do something way down deep in your soul he said, I want you to know I am the bread of life. I am everything you've ever, ever looked for. And then he goes into verse 53 in John chapter 6, which is where I want you to be this morning. John chapter 6, verse 53, and then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now what I would love for any of you to do this morning 
is to volunteer to be the one to come up here now while I sit down and you explain this section of Scripture to the audience. Any volunteers? This is a really difficult section of Scripture. It's one that maybe you've heard before about. Maybe you've never really fully understood. But i got to believe that a lot of us grew it up in context where this section of Scripture was used as an opportunity for you to understand what communion is all about. And you weren't really sure if you fully grasped why he would say it this way based on what you were celebrating in communion. How many of you grew up in cultures or churches or other denominations where you heard the concept transubstantiation or consubstantiation? Any of you? How many of you went to catechism class? You should have heard those terms. Or at least, the, yeah, some of you are going, really? <laughs> you may have not heard the terms, but you would have heard the concepts explained because they would have talked to you about the sacrament. One of the many sacrifice, sacraments they celebrate in those particular contexts where when you come to this particular aspect and you talk about the body and blood of Christ, they will tell you that the substance of the two things that you have in your hands or that you see in front of you really are literally the body and blood of Jesus. And others will say to you in transubstantiation that they are the same, they are identical. And others will say to you, well, it looks like bread, it looks like wine, but it also is the body and blood of Christ. Consubstantiation is the idea that at the same time, it is both the bread and the wine and the body and blood of Christ. Transubstantiation is the idea that may it, may it look like bread and wine, it's not. Now does that sound familiar to any of you? A few of you as well. What you need to fully understand that here at our church, we don't really hold to either one of those concepts. Now, I don't want you to go home after the service today and say, Mom, Dad, Grandma, you were wrong, and Pastor Denny told us what we do here this morning is the right way. I do not want you to do that at all. What I want you to do is to fully understand why we do it the way we do, because you may have grown up in another context where you didn't fully grasp what it was you were doing, and somebody talked to you about when they held up that bread and held up that cup or held up that goblet, it literally became the body of blood of Christ. And so now you come here and you find us not talking about that at all, and you also wonder why we don't do it every week, because some of you grew up that way. Scripture never tells us how often to do it. What it does say is every time you do it, whenever that is, remember me, he said. Remember what I did for you on the cross. Remember what I did for you when I shed my blood. Remember what I did for you when I gave my life. And in that particular context, Jesus took the two simplest elements that he could have given, bread and cup, and he said to them, I want this to forever stand as a symbol of what I've done for you on the cross. And every time you hold that bread and every time you hold that cup, I want you to remember where you really, genuinely, honestly get life. It is for me and me alone. And I want you to know how much I loved you. So that when I say God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son who gives you life, I want you to understand what it costs for me to do that. I want you to understand how much I love you. And I gave you everything. It is the two simplest things that Jesus could have ever used. Every single meal. They had bread and they had wine. Every single meal. So it wasn't out of the ordinary for them to have these two things. What was extraordinary is he took those two ordinary things and used them as symbols that would forever stand in time as to what he did for us on the cross. Now, when you come here on Sunday morning, you see us share it 
in a few moments at the end of the service and we pass it around and you look inside and you see that bread and you see that cup and you come from the background in other contexts where you've heard that it's the actual body and blood of Christ and you wonder, well, what then is this? What this is is really good, tasty bread and Welsh's grape juice. <laughs> That's what it is. And for some of you, you know that, but you don't really understand the concept or the context behind it because you've heard it used in the context of this particular section of Scripture. We've tried a number of different breads, and this is one of the best that we've ever had, and it really tastes good, and it's Welch's grape juice. In our last sanctuary, way back there, in the other place, we used to have a, a kind of a tradition where the pastors would sit up front by a communion table, and we would call the elders, in most cases there was only the elders that would do that, and we pastors would hand them the tray, and they would take it out, and they would serve you. Here, just because of sheer numbers and volume, we have so many communion stores that come, a couple of elders, all of them are not. And they just serve you the bread and serve you the cup. And you see it all in one tray. We were there in that particular context. And at the end of the serving of the communion, they all came forward and they faced us sitting here. And one of them on this end looked at me as he was standing there with a tray. And I went to take it from him and said, we ran out of bread. <laughs> said, we ran out of bread. But he whispered it. And I said, it doesn't matter. Take the doily. Tear it up. It tastes the same. <laughs> Doesn't it? I mean, have you ever been in a context where you're going, I can't swallow that. So I said to him, tear it up, it tastes the same. And he started to laugh. Now this is a very staid and stoic man, and he's standing there, back to the audience, and I could see the tray shaking <laughs> like this, and I'm thinking, i got to pray right now. I don't mean to make light of it at all. This is a celebration of the greatest event in the history of humanity, that Jesus would ever do this. But sometimes we get so confused with the elements and so confused with the concepts because of the diversity of our, of our background that we forget the significance of this moment. And I realized a, a few weeks ago as I was putting this together, I don't think I've ever really talked specifically about this section of Scripture and why we do what we do and why we do it with such significance and such power, but also such celebration. And we don't believe that it actually becomes the body and blood of Jesus, but it symbolizes exactly what he did for us on the cross when he said, I'm offering you my life. The world's going to tell you you'll get life in so many other places. I am the bread of life, Jesus said. You're not going to get life from people, from things, from stuff, from accolades, from likes on your cell phone. You're not going to get life. It's, it's only going to get life from me. And then once you fully understand life from me, I'll be able to help you with all those other things you're looking for in life. And I want you to fully understand that no matter how much baggage, how many bags you bring to me, no matter how much stuff has gone on in your life, no matter how bad your past was, I want you to know that I shed my blood. And when that poured out of my side, it represents the fact that your blood is, your sins are completely washed away by my blood. It's incredible. No matter what I've done, no matter how bad I've been, no matter how much stuff I'm carrying in and handing it to Jesus, he takes it and washes it all away, never ever to bring it up again. I cast your sin, he said, as far away as the east is from the west. How far is that? No one knows. It just keeps on going. 
So that's why it's such an incredible celebration. This, every time I hold it, reminds me, this is where I get life. Not from all that other stuff that the world tells me i got to have to really find satisfaction in life. And all the things they try to sell me. No, it doesn't come from any of those things. It comes from him. And then out of him will flow all the other things you're looking for. And when I come to him and I hold that cup, I recognize again that I have been forgiven of all my junk. And although somebody may remind me of it and somebody may tell me about it and the enemy may whisper in my ear, who do you think you are? I know what you've done. You can say, yep, I know too what I've done, but I also know what Jesus did. And I'm going to celebrate that fact every time I hold this and every time I do that. When Jesus gets to this point in John chapter 6, they understood it. You and I may look at it, and I do too as well, every time I get to this point, and I don't remember if I've ever preached on it before, most of it because it's such a hard concept to fully wrap around my mind. They understood it because they knew what it really meant. They knew that it meant total commitment to the task of the leader, the one they were following. Kind of like I've given it my all, or what your organization says, I want you to give your lifeblood to this job. I want you to give your life blood to this organization. Jesus said, I've given you my blood. I want you to fully understand that you're only going to be able to find satisfaction in what I do. He was calling them to accept him completely as God's son and commit their lives totally to him. In exchange, he promised to completely satisfy their spiritual hunger and their spiritual thirst and life after death. Why wouldn't anyone want that? You know why? Because they fully understood that what he was asking for them is to let go completely of the control of their life and put everything, every single aspect of their lives into his hands and under his control. And if we're really honest, we're not sure if we fully want to do that. We love having Jesus as our Savior. I invite Christ into my life. I love having him as my Savior, and when I do that, I know I get heaven. And I love that knowledge, and we love Jesus as our Savior. What he's talking about here and in this section of Scripture is Jesus as our Lord. Where he has control and access to every single area of our life. When you go to some other churches, maybe you feel like, well, if I'm not a member of that church, or maybe they tell you that if you're not a part of this church, you can't partake of communion. Here, if you know Jesus as your Savior... You recognize that he was the son of God. He died on a cross for my sins. And I've invited him into my life. Then you're free to partake of this communion. You don't have to be a member. You could be here for the very first time. But you know you know that as Jesus as your savior. You can take communion this morning. What he's talking about here and what I'm saying to you this morning. Is it's more than just understanding him as my savior who died on the cross. And I get heaven as a result of that. It's understanding him completely as Lord, where he gets my finances, he gets my kids, he gets my marriage, he gets my job, he gets everything from me. And I take my hands off and I submit everything to his control. And then I let him run my life. And so that when I'm wrestling or deciding about my finances, I seek his guidance and direction. When I'm trying to figure out how to do this job or that job or even seek this job, I let him tell me what to do. I spend time in his word. I spend time in conversation with him. When I'm wrestling with my marriage or trying to figure out my kids, 
I make sure that I've submitted them to him. I make sure that I'm doing everything I can and taking my responsibility seriously. But I'm also recognizing that as I do the best that I possibly can, I'm leaving their destiny in his hands, as difficult as that is, to make sure that I trust him in that. If they decide to do ha- go halfway around the world and serve him in the most remote place on the planet, I trust him because they're in his hands and my life is in his hands. That's what he's calling us to. Total surrender is the real secret to fully, completely receiving his power so that we can live fully with everything he's given us and everything he asks us to do. Anything other than that is living way beneath our privileges. I'm sure at some point a pastor, maybe me, has told you the illustration about Hetty Green, who when she died, left over $100 million, never used any of it, and never gave any of it away to anybody else or to help anybody else. Her life was a constant struggle. She ate cold oatmeal to save on fuel. Her house was never warm. Her son needed attention for a growth on his leg, and she delayed it trying to find a free clinic until her son's leg had to be amputated. She lived by it like a pauper when she was so incredibly wealthy. And we look at all of that and say, who would do that? There are a lot of people who have so much access, so many things that God wants to do in their life, and they live way beneath their privileges. I love having you as Savior. I I do. I really do. But, man, you want everything? And he said, yeah, but got to understand, when you give me everything, I will give you more than you could possibly imagine. I'll give you more than you can hold. He offered them life. And it meant that I would take my nourishment from him. I would find my value in him. Not what people said about me. Not how many likes I got or how many followers I had. I would learn to take my value from him. And this speaks to me as much as anybody else. By Sunday night, I'm awful as a pastor unless somebody said that was a good sermon. Now, don't all of you text me and say it was really good this morning because it won't mean quite as much. And so every time I look at a section of Scripture like this, I'm reminded again that I've got to find my nourishment from Him. I've got to find my life from Him. I've got to find my value from Him. And what it is that He's called me to do and what He loves about me, that His life flowing through mine, that I learn to love like He loves, forgive like He forgives, heal relationships like He does, serve sacrificially, unselfishly, not about me, but about Him. How do we do that? We let His lifeblood flow through us. The Hebrews who heard it, they knew exactly what it meant. They went all the way back to Moses when he talked about the same thing, that his blood was life and it was forgiveness and there was a constant necessity of being in continual unison with him. This section of scripture reminds us of John 15. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. You're never really going to do everything you need to do. You're never going to be everything you need to be unless you take all your nourishment from me. But you got to stay with me and in me to be able to do that. Because without me, you can't do anything. I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me will bear a lot of fruit. It is more than just asking what would Jesus do. Because then, to be honest with you, it's about doing things. What he's talking about here is being Christ-like, not just doing Christ-like things. Do you get the difference? So often we say, what would Jesus do? And then it becomes about doing things. So we're looking for what we can do. Jesus said, I get that, and I love that you want to do that. What I want you to understand is how to be like me. Because then once you fully understand that, submit everything to me, you will indeed do those things, but not to get my attention, but because of my relationship with you. 
Jesus served rather than demanding to be served. He loved the unlovely. He forgave according, those who, according to our standards, don't deserve forgiveness. He ministered to the sick and the suffering. He touched lepers. He befriended the outcast. He invited anybody and everybody with all their baggage and all their stuff and how different they look and how different they are from the people that are sitting around you this morning. He said, everybody who wants me can find me. Everybody who's so looking for me can find me. Come on. I have room for every one of you. People who look different than you and I. People who came from different backgrounds than you and I. People who don't. Do what you and I do on a regular basis. But we're looking for life and looking for the answers to life. And he said, I've got room for everybody. Question always is, do we? When a lot of people heard Jesus talking statements like this specifically, they would say, this is too hard. This is too hard. What you're calling us to, to be like you, to love the unlovely, to reach out to those who I don't think deserve your forgiveness. To be able to invite everybody. This is a little bit too hard. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure if I want to let go of some of these things. I'll give you most of the control of my life. I'm not sure. There's this, these two or three things I, I want to hold on to. I'll never tell you that I don't think you can handle them. I know you can. But I just feel like I need to hold on to them a little bit longer. And a lot of people began to leave. His Nielsen rating went pretty well down after that statement. And then he looked at his disciples and said, so what are you going to do? And Peter said one of the sections of Scripture that stand out for me in all time, what he hopes, Jesus now, that you and I would say as well. Where else can we go? Where else can we go? Where else would we find what you offer us in life? Where else can we go? Because you have the answers to life. You have the answer to everything that we've ever been looking for. You have the answers to what I'm looking for deep down in my soul. Not in my day, not in my routine, not in my, in my soul. You and you alone can do what everybody else says they can do. You're the only one that can really truly satisfy. Where else can we go? Where else can we go? But you know as well as I do, there are a lot of people sitting in pews like this or churches like this who do try to go other places and find it from other things. Jesus said, it's only going to be in me. And once we yield the control of our lives over to Christ, we find that difficulties and the storms of life that Bob talked about last Sunday morning become an opportunity for growth. We're freed from the need to be adequate because he becomes our sufficiency. We don't have to worry about the future because it's in his hands. This morning, we're going to hold these elements. Really good, tasty bread and Welch's grape juice. And they will stand as incredible reminders that God loved you so much. He loves me so much. He gave everything so that you and I could have life. And so when you hold the bread, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for reminding me again when I look at this that I don't have to have all that stuff to find satisfaction in life. That I can find it in you. And if you give it to me, awesome. I just want to remember where it came from. And Lord, I remember what I came from. Matter of fact, people remind me of it every once in a while. They remind me of my past and my junk and all this stuff. 
But Lord, when I hold this cup in my hand, I'm reminded that when I came to you, all of it was washed away. I just want to say thanks for that. Now, you have the opportunity during these moments together to hold these elements and be reminded of all of those things and to thank him for it. But while you're doing that, if there's one or two or a few things that you're kind of holding back, Spirit read, led me to one this morning. You're just kind of holding on to for a little bit, let it go too. Say, Lord, I don't want to hold on to this anymore. I want to give you everything. I want to yield full control of my life over to you. And for something to hold, them, hold you back this morning from doing that, let it go. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hold these elements and be reminded of your unbelievable love and grace. And so thank you for what we're about to do. Thank you for your spirit who may in these next few moments remind us of a couple of things that we're holding on to that we need to let go of and give you full access to every area of our life and full control in your name. Community stores will come. You're all going to be served. Hold the tray, pass it along to the one beside you. Take both elements at the same time and then continue to pass it and then hold it until I lead you to take it at the end. Spend some time with Jesus.
the book of Corinthians, Paul rehearses what Jesus did in the upper room, and he tells them the very night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, this is where you get life, and every time you do it, remember me, remember what I offer, and then after supper, he took a cup, passed it around, and said, this is where you get and fully understand forgiveness, I will do it, I will shed it, I will pay the price that God demands with my own blood, so every time you eat the bread, drink the cup, you show the Lord's death till he comes. Before you do, you ought to make sure that you fully grasp and understand what it means to follow me and that there's nothing between you and I that needs to be addressed, which is why we always give you time. Spend some time with Jesus before you share it together. And then... Again, I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you for your incredible love for us, for your offer to us to live your life through us. So, Jesus, I trust that if we not only take advantage of what you offer us for this life and eternity, we offer you everything so that we can become what you've asked us to be and what we want to be as we follow after you. Thank you for satisfying the depths of our soul in what you offer us in yourself. As we continue to explore, unpack, and live that out, speak to us day by day in our journey with you by your spirit to fully embrace what it means to understand you as Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Again, I want to say what I said earlier. Be sensitive to how you communicate what you've heard this morning, even on the Facebook.